Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 63.1. And as for Miss Macintosh, how different she seemed from all the others here, as the rock of ages in a land where all things crumbled, as a guide who knew her way, as the acme of common sense, as the sure-footed pilgrim, one person never dreaming where all might dream, yet never dream of her. As one person whose hands and feet were far more important than the dreamless head which gave to itself no false glories, no vain imaginings, as the one person who was simple and bold and clear, never to be deceived by the deceiver, not even by the fog surrounding us. The fog might invade her and emit her bones, ravel out her soul from her body, little doubt, but never would she yield to the fog. Has she not often said so to the child in her care, that never would she secede for common sense to the illusion, and never would she believe that there was not a framework in which all must live? She was fortnight, forthright, the one form not concealed, the one person given to no excess of imagination. There was no hidden soul she failed to express. Even that morning, at the breakfast table, my head still roaring with dreams, I was half inclined to believe that she was right, that I was wrong. And never could I have seen a bald planet, a bald love, as she was not some lost denizen of the moon who had wandered here and crossed my path. For surely she seemed true, real, all that she had ever been, and the suspicion that she was unreal was only my own and growing in my heart as I remembered her. I remembered her with a slightly elegant note, perhaps, for I had never loved her in this life, that I might love her only in this death, when she was no more or when she had faded into all that she had protested against. When she herself should be the phantom of a dead love, a face no one quite remembered. And thus, when she was near and real, I was already trying to construct a memory which should place the distance between me and her. Was she not direct, an unassuming, plain woman, whose short temper was shown, she had always said so, by the color of her ruddy hair, like the sunset burning with bees, and who quickly would dismiss the things she could not approve of, the simulacrum, the graven image of truth which was not truth, the face which was no face. So it seemed before I saw her clear, for surely she was not a king in the fog, and she was not a queen, and she was just this arid old nursemaid and moral mentor with her sterile mind, and her gaping mouth, and her utter lack of fantasy, and her limited understanding, her protective coloring, and her black umbrella cast in shadow around her to protect her sand-colored skin. One who was not obsessed by far considerations, memories, objections, one whose way was clear before her, for her way was short. There where she walked without past, without future, perhaps without present, with no inattention to no vagary, no dream, waiting with the ghost crab through the thin line of the surf, her head still protected, her heart as stout as her waterproof, although all though all around her were hoverings, intuitions, memories. The ever increasing cry of the wild seabirds of the aerial angelic choir clouding the days with pulsings of rose and gold and whiteness, her face sometimes blurred with light as with shadow. But this beauty which surrounded her was never her beauty, and she distrusted beauty as if it were a dream. She faded not to this atmosphere. She scolded away the drifting sail. An old board brought in by the tide kicked at broken shells, cried for the tide to cease. She seemed ludicrous, a person not in her own place, someone who simply could not have comprehended the more subtle aspects of life. Only just this anomalous and somewhat acrobatic nursemaid, ever of good heart, narrow-minded, waiting where seabirds waited, yet not by any means sublime, a part of that dreaming space, even though there might be upon her cheeks when her umbrella was lifted by wind, like a sail almost ready to sail. 
Shadows of curls of foam or her face be played with light like her faded tartan. Nothing, not even these great waters, should detract from her rugged common sense. Her small concerns were just what was immediate and near, nor could she be taken off her balance by any blow. But it seemed to be then, wind or tide. She would have scolded God himself for all this dreadful nonsense, had it been the last day of creation, had it been the first. Would have found fault with God's dreaming because of its being so simply excessive, as she would have expressed it, so out of this world and very, very expensive for a poor man. Would have beaten back with her stout umbrella tides of imagination which break upon no shore. Would have simplified everything and gotten rid of, not merely in actuality, but also in dreams, these pretensions, lies, illusions of grandeur, which here surrounded her like the old fog itself, and she was grateful for a beam of sunlight. Could she be impressed by the things exceeding her, by a tide of old kings wearing golden crowns, by angels with flowing hair, by anything not just as bare and literal as really it was if one saw it clear? Fault and nonsense could she have expressed herself, for the past should never be unchained, not in this creation, and had she not seen the old Chicago, and was not her nose broken? Did she care for the things that were not, for the questions asked when there can be no answer, for the questions asked by one's own betraying mind, which gives an answer to please itself, and avoid, ever since time began, the bare, impoverished truth of days, of nights, and loneliness? Everything being stripped bare for her, clear and cold, like the vast expanse of snow where no human being yet has wandered, she cannot be taken in by less, even by some poor wandering phantom, if ever, as she took the constitutional and fading dusk, she should meet with him, the most hated shade. The Emperor Constantine, who had changed the calendar, had gotten us all off on the wrong day of the week. The wrong foot, she would give him a piece of her mind. She always would say, for he had no business in changing the calendar from the old days, and if now he wept his tears of regret, he should not weep his tears on her, for the time was the time, and it was too late for his regret, too late for him to mend his manners, too late for her to mend hers. She cared not for pagans and murderers, most especially for reasons never quite known. The Emperor Constantine was anathema to her. She scolded him most especially. Why? He had become a Christian. Walking through droves of orange butterflies blown shoreward in thin waters brightening where she, had, where she stepped, she saw just what, she, what was, no more, and except for the Emperor Constantine, to whom she would give a piece of her mind, was never, even in some split second, the other dreamer, the rival to my mother for whom all time was a horizon like this watery world, a plane of musical vastness, a simultaneity of the old star shining again, the old faces of pearl in the blurred, reflecting fog. All these things were beyond the comprehension of a busy nursemaid following, even in her isolation, the fluctuations of the stock market, as later would be revealed, along with her imaginary investments which I was yet to learn. As for the time, to go by her old silver dollar watch was just enough to calculate the days by the old calendar, allowing always for some difference of time, and when there was no time, then she should not imagine a time that was not, or deceive herself into living longer than the time. When there was no body, she should know it and not dream that she had a body. All fully clothed in waterproof and gray yarn stockings and shirt front which bristled with rusted safety pins, needles and thread, a thread which she had plucked from a seashell. And meanwhile, this dream of death by which my mother lived, emancipating herself from space, from time, she could not brook her stomach or breast it, breasting the waves instead, blowing against the winds, the one person tangible, certain, stained by weathers, as if she were a mirror in the sky, clear, morally true, than in my eyes, even to that point where, should she have made one false move, I should have believed in her, though reluctantly, even more, and though not then realizing it, should have loved her through her very error, and because of her deprivation, such as every life must still know.
I would have loved the imperfection because I could not love perfection. It would be impractical for the infernal spirits to conceive their own damnation, and certainly she had not conceived hers. That damnation which one's self conceives, was it not very unnecessary in her eyes? Those which, should she see another, must look away. For if she looked away, she invited no close scrutiny. Her denials were sharp and clear, a way of dismissal, of rejection, for chaos would have threatened the immediacy of her common sense, I have no doubt, would have borne her along with it even beyond her will. Frumpy, redhead leaning in the wind, old storm-proof flapping, old black umbrella uplifted, how should she be half out of her mind, too? She, the very peak and pinnacle of all that stood for right, for common sense. Could she have? There is no doubt of it. She would have dismissed, peering above her befogged spectacles, with, which cast two moons of light upon her cheeks. All things confusing and blurred, even, I sometimes thought, the fog that wrapped around us like the principle of ambiguity itself. A face is changing the forms which change their shape in some enchanted wood. What should she do if ever she met with a phantom, Miss Mackintosh, with any number of those visitants who came where my mother was sleeping? Stuff and fiddle. She would give him, she did declare, time after time, a blow with her umbrella. Enough of that, should she come this, this way again, he which should dissolve before her coming, crumble like foam. Stuff. Nonsense, twaddle, fiddlesticks. All these broken noses when only her nose was broken. All these hearts which broken themselves when someone else had broken her heart. All these distracting city lights rivaling God's dead moon, sun, stars, planets. All these traffic lights, the green, the yellow, the red. All these confusions of purpose and destiny. What had become of the moon, the stars, the hidden ways? Because of Benjamin Franklin, who should have known better if he had been as sensible as she was, there was now this clanging din of iron traffic on steel rails crisscrossing, whereas God's old-fashioned rails had not crossed each other so far as is known by the living. And there were the elevated above us, and the subway beneath us, and all these surface trains going in and out of the Grand Central Station. And there were these sporadic signal lights flashing off and on to confuse the simple foot passenger with its black umbrella. And there were so many unthinkable accidents, so many people who never reached the place toward which they had traveled. Benjamin Franklin had certainly done this, lighting the dark places, improving where God had not had time, and what improvements had time made. Benjamin Franklin had not been warned by God's voice, God who brings the blackness of the day, the stars of the twilight to be dark, and who breaks the leaves which are driven to and fro. So now, no matter how we might protest against them and prefer the darkness, there were all these electric lights strung like stars, or glowworms lighting the dark harbors and the leaden-colored waters of our natural oblivion and lighting the bridges, and lighting the piers, and lighting the far places, and even a man's own bedroom. These electric lights, which certainly she could so well have done without, she preferring either the light of the Apocalypse or of Genesis, the light of the last day, or of the first, which was someone else's last day, she would prefer a night of six months. Two weeks of moonlight would be enough for her. She would not have even a single light bulb. She would tell Thomas Edison, Electric lights indeed. No one had ever seen the true face of death or love, and besides, as was well known, death came like a thief in the night and needed no light to light his way. Electric lights indeed. They had ruined many a marriage. This aversion to electric lights was an old complaint of her, surely, though she had never expressed it so fully as now in the beaming morning sunlight which swept as a tide through fogs. Now, as barn swallows fluttered past the window pane, the shadows of birds seemed to fly over the tabletop. Vain man, Benjamin Franklin, did he ever succeed? Besides, the electric lights are a monopoly. Some people make money on other people's misery. They are stockholders. 
Come the revolution and we will have no electric lights. We'll return to Bayberry Candles, my dear. Vain man, he who had tried to harness the light in the heavens as he was not asked to do. So now we must have these electric lights disturbing our natural slumbers and our privacy, keeping us up all night, making the nights like the days. Even Eskimos and Igloos must have no privacy, and poor Polynesians in boats must have these bright lights dashed in their, uh, into their eyes and blinding them. And some which had once been indoors was bold-faced and walked abroad with painted lips, and lawyers no longer plotted their crimes and studies but made them public. And portrait painters could paint at night, and drugged hula dancers were in spotlights, and striptease dancers drew great crowds in bright arenas, and youth was running wild. Ah, but she would have had no electric light bulb in her grave, it was a fact, none to light her. She would hide away even from God's eyes, and she had always said so. Repeated this morning every day of the week and every night when she laid her down, knowing that she might never see the morning. No lights, please, no lights. What a terrible thing for an old soul like hers, an old body going to her maker as best she could and carrying no luggage without even her head, and who should find her when she was gone? She hoped no one would find her, not even God. It was almost certainly sure that she should be lost, for was she not lost? And should not we all be lost before we were found? Electric lights indeed, and great x-rays. What good have they ever done her? There were all these bright lights of Broadway, she complained, all these bright lights of Skid Row skidding, even now places lighter which have been dark, all these bright lights dashing, dashing like the wings of burning birds, dashing like stars bringing too near the earth, places lighter which have been dark, for the old naphtha flares of the old lamplighters had reached not everywhere, and had lighted only the smallest circles in the fog, and this was the best illusion. But now there were all these bright lights lighting the dark harbors and the bridges and the piers and even the side streets under the clanging L and even the narrow cobblestoned alleyways so that now there was nowhere a poor soul might be hidden away. Nowhere to hide an ugly face or a remorseful spirit. Nowhere to hide, she supposed, her own broken nose, and this, the missing breast, which gave her the pain over which she long ago had triumphed, simply by ignoring the pain. She ignored the pain and the triumph. God's starlight had not lighted everywhere, and had left us at least a modicum of privacy, that private dream in which a poor man may die, be it even a public place. There had always been before this tampering with old creation in the uncreated darkness a dark corner, maybe a street without lights. Maybe a lightless night before Benjamin Franklin flew his kite. Diogenes, in broad daylight, had carried a lantern looking for an honest man and had not yet found one. Miss Mackintosh had certainly never seen one in all her life. And in fact, death was bad and mad and sad, but marriage was worse. If ever Miss Mackintosh had seen an honest man, she would have married him, if he had seen her. And why not, she asked belligerently, was not marriage better in the old days? Four electric lights, disturbing our peace of mind, our unbroken slumbers, a man might never dream what manner of woman he was married to, Miss Macintosh had said so many times, or he might only dream, and a woman might never dream what manner of man, or she might only dream, even though ignorance was never bliss. Why, there were c cases known in which perhaps a man had married a man, and perhaps a woman had married a woman, and no one had ever been the wiser, for they had lain down in the darkness, and had arisen in the darkness, or one had gotten up earlier than the other, and had kept his eyes closed and his head about him, and is silently stolen away, and wisdom will not help the fool, and wisdom will not help the wise, and human beings are very ignorant as God intended. God himself was ignorant. Though Benjamin Franklin had made many valuable contributions to our domestic economy, and among these was certainly the Franklin stove, though he had opposed the domination of George III, was the author of our liberty, which we should never consent to lose, and also poor Richard's almanac. These simple homily homilies guiding us in accustomed ways from dawn until sunset, and invited us to go to bed 
and advising us to go early to bed and to arise early if we would make our fortunes and be healthy and be wise. He had also tampered with God's nest egg and most private creation, keeping us up all day and half the night. Electric lights, electric lights indeed, she coarsely muttered, turning another page of her newspaper veil, which I could still see the red ruffled sunlighted top of her head apart. I don't trust all these meter readers. Why, here it says that one was found who read all numbers backward. My eye, who wants to see what he cannot see in the natural darkness? Electric lights indeed, arousing us from our sleep, our dreamless sleep, very dreamless, and not a star to steer by. I would have steered by the lodestar if I could have found it. So I stared by the lodestar stuck in a pincushion. I stared by my old silver dollar watch. Many times I lifted an umbrella so not to see the light. What do we see that our fathers did not see, more or less? Electric lights indeed. Modern artifice, electric trains, electric irons, electric washing machines. What will they think of next? She preferred an old-fashioned flat iron on which to crack a nut between her knees. She preferred an old-fashioned washing board and tub. Or better still, to do her laundry in a stream of running water. Who wants to go anywhere that he cannot walk? Who wants to see what God has hidden? Best to marry a little shoemaker if you want to be a happy wife and not see, to see him, for he will walk about like his shoes and seldom visit you. Best to be content. Protect, protect cherry buds from the grouse, a cruel winter. Flannel should be draped over old bushes. I was thinking of flesh and blood and bone, the living heart, the phosphorescent brain, the gleaming of someone like glowworms the night, like two glowworms. I was thinking of Mr. Spitzer's marriage and of Mrs. McIntosh's marriage. I was thinking of that watery funeral, the carriage and the four white horses and the black coachman, stars laden in the sky, fading to pinpoints. Miss McIntosh, however, was only reading aloud now the want at columns. She was always concerned with keeping abreast of the employment situation, conditions of the poor and of the woebegone. No old lamplighters wanted, she silently remarked. None coming with their ladders now. She droned aloud her voice with the silvery buzz of silver, silvery wasps, for surely there would be no honeybees upon this honeymoon. But there was very little help wanted, very little. The ship's, ship's chandeliers were starving by the dozens in the darkened harbors, and ironmongers were begging in the darkened streets, and umbrella repairmen could not afford their shrouds. But the tin rivers were unemployed, and so were the rivers of silver and gold, and the rag pickers were naked, naked as the day they were born. What is a monsoon? she asked. What is a mackerel sky? Where is Bering Strait, my dear? Where are the Hyperborean lights? Have you learned your lessons in the darkness, your geography and arithmetic and nautical science and household shopping and the hunting of the caribou? Or will this be just another day of darkest ignorance, such as may befit even not even a poor man's wife when the wedding feast is over? Have you saved the crumbs, the tallow ends? You scorched my shirt last Sunday. You must learn to cook and sew, sew a canvas shroud. I may be sailing, sailing without a shroud. All this carping, this ceaseless, urgent questions, which had no meaning in our limited existence or a meaning so remote, might well have been ignored and passed over. I was seething with helpless rage. What did I care for these vast and personal weighty matters which took no cognizance of me? These astronomical and geographical and social and labor problems of which she herself was very ignorant? Was I married to her that I must put up with this, endure in silence this insult to my integrity? Was I married to her that I must endure in perfect silence this monotony of days repeating themselves endlessly like inviolate, infinite variations upon one poor thing which was only chance? Where was the night? I was not married to her, and she was not my husband nor my secret lover. She, with her fire-red hair gleaming like lights in a fiery furnace. I never would be married to her, I thought. 
I struck the table with my fists, the cups, and saucers jumped. Miss Macintosh, I cried, amazed by my own courage to resist and pose or to embark upon a dialogue which was like the unfolding of my brain with words I should have spoken long before. How can we go on living through all of this, this hollow pretense? Does it not strike you even as a kind of fool's paradise in which we pass our lives? What is the use of keeping house when we have no house to keep? You yourself have often asked. My voice broke. It seemed very firm and stern, imitating hers when there was nothing which must be brought to light. When there was something that which must be brought to light. Miss Macintosh, there are things which you and I must talk about quite freely, and I do not refer to a small budget, a narrow margin on which you say we are operating, the sacrifices we must make for no purpose. What have these to do with my desire for infinite happiness in a personal sense? Are they emotional? Do they so much as touch my heart? Miss Macintosh, I insisted, you ignore my side of it completely. Surely you are not as so busy thinking of your own happiness that you must, that you have not thought of mine. Miss Macintosh, you are so busy remembering who you are, you forget who I am. And why should you forget me? She surely could not expect me to be interested in the ramifications of the stock exchange in a bearish or bullish market, or high finance or Australian shipping or cup racing. I said, or the marriage of the Solomon outside the golden salmon, outside the golden gator, the things that seemed to interest her so greatly, bowling and pitching, she lived in a man's world. Mine was the world within. I trembled at the threshold of life and had seen nothing. What did I care about the antiquated structure of Brooklyn Bridge, the buoys riding the harbors, the spar buoys, which have a spar attached, the nun buoys, which have a conical shape, the whistling buoys, marking channel entrances, the bell buoys rung by indefinite waves, usually marking shoulder rocks, what did I care for all this vast impersonal pressure which made my head ache and my ears roar with distant reverberations or separate sounds? I am but one person, Miss Macintosh. My interests are few. The smallest compass will show the smallest world. Miss Macintosh, I must ask for your undivided attention and no further evasions and no more of this errant nonsense which confronts us everywhere we turn. Indeed, Miss Macintosh, there are things that you and I must bring out into the open, things that I have dreamed in the deepest night of my soul and when I was alone. I will have no more of this plain self-deceit which does not deceive me. Miss Macintosh, I think we will have to face the truth before we can go about this day's business or any other day under the wide starry heavens which knows no bounds but our own hearts. I must make a clean breast of things. I must begin again, I said, my forehead throbbing, for I was still thinking of Miss Macintosh's marriage to Mr. Spitzer in that vast, vasty deep. How it was she who had been the incongruous bridegroom, and perhaps I intended only to tell her so, that she was fastened to him in wedlock as with a padlock. It was all my fault, and not hers. I had heard a quick motion behind her newspaper, her gasping and snorting, as always when she seemed to be struggling against some invisible opposition, which I could not name, perhaps the air, perhaps the sad part of her own heart. I pursued, however, my lonely argument, my demand for her undivided attention that I should be focused entire and that it should be focused entirely on me. She half lowered her newspaper, peering at me or beyond me with an absent air, her mouth rounded with bland astonishment, her eyes glazed as with sleeplessness, for she had been up so early, her face as red as the tawny beam of the morning sunlight, crossing at her as the cabbage roses steaming with lucent water drops like her thought furrowed forehead under its beetling cliff of grass colored brilliant hair which showed, as she had always said, her quickness to anger and to take offense. What's that? she guessed, her voice thin and high and circular. What's a mongoose? What's the day of the week according to no calendar? Why were there eight days instead of seven? Because there were only seven, child, and one short life is not long enough in which
privilege to do God's unfinished work. It's a poor workman whose work falls in pieces before the workman does. Iron rusts, gold and silver melt. And if ever the golden bowl is broken or the wheel of the cistern, oh, drat it, child, the Bible exaggerates. You cannot break that which was always broken. She took off her eyeglasses, laid them upon the tablecloth where they cast two pools of light upon a witch butterfly drifter. Miss Mackintosh, I cried, unconvinced of her least sincerity. Do you think I am deceived and blinded by your little game? All of this wild horseplay which you find so objectionable in others? This falsehood which stands like mountains of cinders between us? Do you think I cannot see through you? Miss Mackintosh, you are as clear as glass to me. I am tired of being made ridiculous, even in my own eyes, whenever I ask for reason or sense or understanding. You treat me as a child who knows no better. I know you all too well. Do you deceive yourself into thinking that after all these years of living with you, I do not know you Eyebrows, Miss Mackintosh. How does it happen that you have no hair along your skin? Was it a great fire? Are you a salamander that you sit there burning in your own life? Indeed, Miss Mackintosh, I have always known you at some deep level of my mind when everything else is stripped away, when the rose has lost its petals. I must ask for your complete, brave honesty as to just why we must carry on with keeping house when you have not even the roof above your head, when it is all this vain pretense which is a madness outdistancing my poor mother's. Was it you? What is it you want that you do not have? What is it you lack? Are we married to each other? Am I bound to you on earth and in heaven alike? Is there no divorce possible? Is there no separation, no going our separate ways? Have you not your perfect freedom? You have the key to your own door and you can open it any, at any time. For truly, as my poor mother has often said, in this world we all dwell near the place marked exit. And Mr. Spitzer has said so, and now I say so. Nobody asks you to stay here. I can live without you, for I always have. Miss Mackintosh, I cried, though it seemed that I was speaking with another's reproachful voice, that perhaps some ventriloquist had tricked me into being his wooden dummy. That is not your hair you are wearing. That is undoubtedly something which came from an ordinary wig maker's. Perhaps every hair came from a different head, and whose heads were those, I wonder? Were they a sailor, a lawyer, a merchant, a thief, a woman, a man? Were they dead? You cannot fool me. Why, you have not even the eyelashes with which to sweep away your tears. Oh, drat it, Vera, she said, her voice husky and low as trembling. She hesitated in the act of lifting a glass of water to her colorless pinched lips. It was, I noticed for the first time, a crescentic white marking on her upper right eyelid around her, a wider spot on her lower left eyelid. Her right shoulder was raised above her left, her head was turned slightly to one side. Her face was covered now with bluish and greenish, greenish splotches, livid as with cold or from a blow, the veins showing through the taut skin which glistened with an unholy light not of that day. What's this salt taste of blood in my mouth this morning and every other morning? Oh, my heart, my poor, poor, poor heart, so often cheated. What did you say? Do my ears deceive me that I should live to hear this? Do my eyes behold what is not and never was? Who fools the fool but the fool himself, my dear? Am I mad, losing my mind quite suddenly? Oh, I shall go mad, 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 the mad man leading the mad to his destruction, which is his own creation. I must be dreaming this. Or else it is you who have led me here, little by little, and now quite suddenly, I know you. Heaven preserve you from a beardless man. Heaven preserve you from a hairy woman. Consider well, my dear, if you mean what you are saying, if this is your infinite desire for nothing. 
She clapped the air with one hand. I screech out, flew by just then. Did you not see it, hear it? The sun and the moon will shine in the same sky, and yet the earth will not be lighted, but will be wrapped in darkness like the night. All earth will be made bare like this. No birds will sing in the treetops ever again. The earth will be bare and ruined choirs. The flower will perish while it is still in seed. The tides will not return what the tides take out. There will be only my dear the dream. Is that enough for you? It is too much for me. Come, come, Miss Macintosh, I said, perhaps with tentative gentleness in my voice, for I was only teasing her as she had often tormented me by our narrow routines, and I had not realized the high seriousness of this affair on which we had embarked. Come, and no more stalling over something so plain, no more hesitation, for ours is a pilgrim's progress from nowhere to nowhere, and you have always said so, that we must walk as if we knew where we were walking, as if it were terra firma. We must walk through seas as if they were flowering cherry orchards. Before we set about today's task, we must establish a better understanding as to just what is our relationship. I shall then be perhaps content to do your washing, your ironing. Now, however, I must speak for your own good as to your appearance. Your wig is crooked. The scalp line is not straight and runs almost horizontal. You have walked a crooked way. You must have dressed quite hurriedly. I persisted this morning before I was awake. You might have been running on from a fire. You have taken off your eyeglasses and are staring at me, and yet you have always said that without your eyeglasses you cannot see me. You have said that there is only the fog. Your hair bow is in the wrong place, Miss Macintosh. You seem distraught and laboring under a great excitement, though all is peaceful between us. I ask merely that you treat me with more respect in the future than you have shown me in the past. I am quite sure that we can still get along. I smiled encouragingly, feeling that I at last had my own life under control, that it was mine, that henceforth I should rule the roost, or at least have a voice in it. Nonsense. Oh, nonsense, which kills us, she moaned, her forehead sweating heavy drops, a drop rolling down her nose. Her face was twisted with convulsion and pain, which I did not recognize. It is you who dream, she cried, shaking her head from side to side, wagging her red paint. My life away? How shall I show my grief? Shall I tear my hair? Shall I scream and rage and cry out for help? Who can help me but God himself, who has already failed and is not? No, 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 I will not have it. There are things exceeding your imagination or mine, and I have always said so. And so I would say to the Emperor Constantine or King Canute or Crispin or Clarence or Cuthbert, if ever it should be my pleasure or privilege to meet with him, that imagination is nothing. The life is what counts. Did you turn the spade over the living heart? Is this your way of covering me? No, but our relationship is as the sleeve of a coat, and the sleeve will soon be empty of the arm. I shall surely disappear as surely as the sun sets. You have nothing to do with this, for it is my own choice I make. And when the moon rises again, I shall not be here. I shall go with the setting moon. Whom shall I look for? What are two and two but one? What are four and four but three? Who holds the cards? We cannot both perish at once. What place is this? The narrow defile? Must one outlive the other always? Whereas my father was bald and had no hair to cover and was a man? Are these the fields of crystal heaven? Is this the road to burning hell? What is the shortest cut? What is the longest way? Is there a road? No, no, no. This is too much and it is not enough. No, no, no. This is too high. It is too low. The star which shines no more and the star which shines no more. The burned out wick is the burned out wick and that's a fact no one can change. He changed the calendar. He took the wrong train, but the wrong train was the right train. My wrist was trembling like hers. Could I have undone what I had said? Could I have apologized? Could I have turned back the pages of time to some new beginning where not one word was written yet, when God himself had never spoken? Should she disappear, I knew even then I should suffer all my life the blows of conscience. 
for she must be forever at my side. My brain was now clouded with that fog which does not easily lift. Where would she be when she was gone? Where was she now, the plain bald darling who had, over, who had overcast me in the longest night my soul had ever known? What was now this other music, this imperial counterpart exalted and enhanced by the absence of being, even by the absence of sense, and should I never find her again, as I had found her in one long night of love, of renunciation? My head swaying like harebells in the wind, everything seemed to multiple, and I saw many where there was one. New confusions overcame the morning's indiscretion. I was confused anew by vastness imponderable, some landscape I had never known or would not know. That which now I saw drifting before me, those virginal mountains man has not discovered, those over which the thundercloud hangs forever like a black pall, those great helmets lifted to the reachless heavens, those argent spears upheld like frozen reeds, those hieroglyphic breastplates and armors, crowns, cracks, flaws, precipices, peaks, chasms, insubstantial ridges coated with hoarfrost and snow's eternity, rocks of all that of air, those flames congealed in weird shapes, those sun-streaked flanks against whom the impotent fog beats and whirls, the stone fleet moving through the veins and partings of light. What land was this which I should never visit? It certainly seems a no-man's land, Miss Macintosh breathed the sharp rasping sound, drops of water pouring from her skin, her nose lengthening, her eyes watering. Unloosen my corset, great Caesar, she cried. Oh, I am killed. Where are my eyeglasses? Where is my handkerchief? Oh, I, I am killed, struck in the midriff, the heart, the other breast, not where you think, the womb, and this was long ago. For myself I do not mourn, I mourn for others without end. So be it, so be it evermore. I am killed by the oldest preacher, he with the flaming hair. As I have eaten no fish, or only now and then a little freshwater trout broiled to a golden brown, should fishes turn in schools and eat me, who is their friend? Did I not sweep back all broken things? Should barnacles build their castles on these white bones? Should I be the skeleton wandering through many waters which have no shore, the bubble breaking on a far horizon, the waters without form? Oh, I am killed again and again, and I have lived to view my death. Visor down, shield lifted. Who's Escachon? What invisible assassin, what foil but one's own heart, which was no, which has no other enemy? <coughs> the first thrust, the second, the third. Long hair is short wisdom, Vera. The mournful head is shaved. The space is shaved between the eyes. Gray hairs bespeak, as I have said before, no necessary wisdom. Experience may not teach us. The wisdom is not in the beard, and it's a wise child who knows his own father.